That is the sound of the Medic's Money financial bleep going off, which means it's time for another episode where we take a Medic's Money podcast listener's financial question and answer it using our network of specialist advisors. So today's question started off simple enough, but as you'll see, it turns into something a lot more complex. It comes from Dr. Arav, who's a 34-year-old consultant radiologist whose partner is a GP, and Dr. Araf wanted to know, do private consultants pay VAT? So a simple enough question, you would have thought, but one where we see non-specialist accountants uh, get it wrong quite frequently, unfortunately, because it is a bit of a niche situation for doctors, as you'll hear. But this podcast turns into something much, much more than that. Uh, we talk about everything from annual allowance to lifetime allowance, how to invest via a limited company, whether you should take a pension from your limited company, whether you should hold assets in cash or invest, whether you need to protect your family's income by getting life insurance and why you probably need to make a will and consider a lasting power of attorney. We get on to talk about the best way to buy a electric vehicle like a Tesla if you have a limited company. And we also talk about a pensions tax trap that can occur if you buy a electric vehicle by salary sacrifice. So this is a mega episode. So we tried to edit this episode down because we've done really big episodes like this in the past, the 10 top tips for consultants and 10 top tips for junior doctors being examples of those. And we know you guys find it really useful, but it is just too much information to take in in one go. So conscious of that feedback, we have split this episode into two parts. The first part this week and the next part will come the week after. So that is another excellent reason, if you needed any more reasons, to hit the subscribe button and that will ensure that you don't miss part two of this episode. Thank you so much to all of you who have left a review and subscribed and told your friends about us. The podcast is growing really fast, which helps us to bring this information to more and more of our colleagues, which is what it's all about. Uh, I also have to read out our standard disclaimer, which is that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any form of financial accounting advice. Tax thresholds and limits are subject to change. Investments may go down or up and you may get less back than you put in. And I think, you know, one thing that we see a lot of medics money is one doctor does something and then all of their colleagues think that it's a good idea to do for their financial circumstances as well. Everybody's financial situation is different as you're going to see today. So please make your own decisions and get the right advice where appropriate and don't just copy what your mates do because the chance of your financial situation perfectly matching theirs is very, very low. Right, let's get into part one of the episode. And as I said, part two is coming next week. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Powell from Mazars, who is now a veteran of the Medics Money podcast, and Nick Nesbitt, who I believe this is Nick's first time on the podcast, but he's done sterling work on our webinars. So Andy, do you want to just start by telling our audience about yourself and why you're qualified to talk on today's subject? 
Yeah, thanks, Tommy. My name is Andy Powell. I'm a partner in the healthcare team at Mazars. Uh, we're a UK-wide firm uh, providing uh, accountancy advice to medical professionals. Great. And Nick? Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Uh, so I'm Nick Nesbitt, also a partner at Mazar, but I, uh, I'm i not an accountant. I'm a financial planner um, by training, and I look after our medical financial planning uh, team across the UK. Awesome. And regular podcast listeners will know that uh, Andy's partner is a GP up in the Lake District. And if you've watched our webinar, you might remember Nick. He came on a webinar in a very sleep-deprived state and performed admirably because at the time he had a young colicky baby. And we asked, uh, I think we had about 300 doctors in there to give him advice about colicky babies. And they all just said the baby will grow out of it, which uh, wasn't great help to you, Nick. But uh, has the baby grown out of it? What's the situation? She has, yeah. She's now just onto normal, not particularly sleeping very much, but the colic is over. So thank the Lord. Awesome. You you look a lot fresher and uh, like you've had more sleep today. Okay. So um, today's case is a real case sent in by a Medics Money podcast listener. I'm going to read it out and then I'm going to see what you two experts make of it. So Dr. Araf is a 34-year-old radiologist who's based in England. Um, first of all, Thank you sincerely for all your hard work. You have saved several colleagues and myself substantial sums of money. Not sure if he's talking about me or you guys there, or all of us maybe. Uh, I have a somewhat niche query. I am in the extremely fortunate position of earning approximately £110,000 via the NHS, including some predictable waiting list initiative activity. My private practice has also averaged eighty pounds to £100,000 per annum. I'm in the process of setting up a limited company for the latter, as I don't need to access all the money and want to avoid the dreaded annual allowance charge. My accountant, who fears IR35 and has been reluctant to set up the limited company for me, says I need to consider VAT, VAT, uh, if my company takes in over £85,000 per year. He is unsure of this, however. Some more information about Dr. Araf is that he's 34, so doesn't have any 1995 section pension. He earns 120,000 in NHS income and roughly 80 to 100,000 pounds in the private sector, uh, split evenly between two private employers. He doesn't have any medical legal income. He currently files as self-employed income and doesn't intend working to this level long term, which he says he's doing 70 hours a week at the moment, but that doesn't appeal forever. Uh, but he's making hay while the sun shines. Uh, Dr. Araf has a wife and two young children. His wife is a less than full-time GP partner who is taking in approximately £120,000 a year. They have approximately £100,000 invested in share ISAs and personal cash. Uh, he goes on to say that he's happy to leave 50000 a year in the limited company. And the plan was to pay him and his wife up to the national insurance level, as we mentioned on a previous podcast, the Mr. Ahmed case study, uh, which was, I forget which number of episode it was, but it's uh, in there. Definitely worth a listen. Um, maybe a bit of dividends as well to pay from the limited company. Um, he says, he goes on to say, I'm happy paying 45% marginal rate but I draw the line at 90% plus associated with annual allowance tapering. My accountant is wary of limited company VAT, investment options for the surplus in the company, a nice Tesla appeals as per our recent episode, or maybe leaving the NHS pensions for a few years so I don't have to worry about annual allowance. I suspect I will be more than able to hit lifetime allowance given I have another 34 years to pay in still. 
I used a salary sacrifice to to buy an electric vehicle this year before Dr. Tony Goldstone warned us of the pension peril on return, which is due back in two years. Many thanks again. You're making a big difference to the profession. There's 10 listeners in their department to the podcast alone. Awesome. So um, I don't know who wants to go first on this, but just before we started, you said that this was like an exam question for accountants and financial advisors, and that's why I chose it. So who wants to go first and what are we going to discuss? Yes. Yeah. When I read it first time around, I thought, well, can you actually think of any other issues in there that haven't been covered? And I don't think I think you've ticked the lot. Um, So we we were having a chat about this and there's lots of areas to cover, really. Um, But the driving factor around this is is probably going back to the annual allowance um, again. And I know it's been covered on on multiple podcasts and it it still remains a big topical issue. But the issue with the annual allowance is, um, uh, if you recall, is that you get a a potential pension tax charge on excessive growth uh, and you get an allowance against that. So um, for most people, you get a 40,000 allowance uh, to offset against your growth. And only if you go above that 40,000 do you have a tax charge. Now, we had the issue a couple of years ago that it was catching a lot of uh, senior clinicians because there was a sort of tapering adjustment rule uh, which which tapered down the allowance and and that calculation sort of kicked in at 110,000 they've moved that um, to 200,000 so potentially uh, well what it means now if you're under 200,000 then you're going to get your full annual allowance growth back at 40,000 okay if you go above 200,000 it's a bit more complicated uh, and potentially go if you you know get to higher levels of income above that, you actually start to to reduce the annual allowance um, available down to actually a, a low point now of 4,000. So the 200,000 barrier is now kind of the new cliff edgy type uh, issue. Um, so I think a lot of this is really, you know, the, the questioning here is, is, is how to keep uh, this consultant below 200,000. And, you know, what we'll talk about later on is, is possible uses of a company. Um, the VAT side is an issue, maybe. Le- uh, IR35 definitely is an issue. Uh, I know we've got another podcast coming up on IR35 in the future, but uh, it, it's a really topical issue for consultants. Um, but then also we've got to look at family, the family as a whole, really. Uh, and uh, the, his wife's income level is such that you might use the, lose the tax-free personal allowance. Um, you've got two high earners uh, with young children, I assume. Yep, two young children. Um, so we need to look at sort of family protection side of things. So there's an awful lot going on. But I think the starting point is the annual allowance and, and reminding people that if you go above 200,000 now, that's the point you actually have to really look at this in some detail. Um, so I think you know all of this is around keeping uh, his income below the 200,000 level. Um, uh, whilst lifetime allowance hasn't really been mentioned too much, it probably is worth Nick just sort of going over lifetime allowance and um, that has been fairly topical recently in terms of the freezing of the lifetime allowance. And so Nick, do you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, I mean, just, just as a bit of a, a recap on the lifetime allowance, um, it is, as the, the name suggests, a lifetime limit on the value of, of pension benefits that you're allowed to accrue without a punitive 
uh, tax charge. So you can accrue however much you want in pensions, but above a certain level, i.e. this lifetime allowance, you will start to incur tax charges. So the way I think about the lifetime allowance is it's a bucket that you can fill up and most people should try and do so. But as soon as you overfill it, you start to lose a lot of the benefit from any further uh, accrual. Um, in terms of the latest um, news around the lifetime allowance, the government in March this year froze um, the lifetime allowance at 1.073 million, which is where it's been for the last 12 months or so. Um, and that's going to be frozen at that level till 2026. So it's not a further reduction, which is something we have seen a lot of in the last 10 years, but it's just a freezing. Um, however, it is really a reduction for a lot of people because naturally NHS pension benefits grow each year, even if you're not in the scheme, just through the uh, the inflation linking. So it is something that is going to impact on people's benefits. However, um, it certainly is not something that should automatically make you come out of the scheme, no matter how old you are or what you've got. I think it needs more thought than that. Uh, and for somebody that's 34, I would say that 15 years ago, the lifetime allowance didn't exist. So if we jump forward another 30 years, it's highly likely that legislation will exist in a different form in that point in time. And I would just, uh, for want of a better expression, fill your boots um, for the time being, keep going um, with accruing in the pension scheme, and then keep reviewing the lifetime allowance and other relevant legislation as you go forward. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made as well, is that for some people, the lifetime allowance can mean, you know, punitive problems. But uh, I've seen people's calculations where even though they fit the lifetime allowance, they're still overall up. So definitely want to get calculations on later in life. But for now, like you say, fill your boots. I like that. I just want to come back to something that Andy said, because you're focusing on Andy, you're focusing on the tax side of things. And this is really important because what we get from a lot of doctors is they say, do I need an accountant or financial advisor for pensions problems? And the reason we say I have my next money with accountants and financial advisors is because you probably need both. But is it worth doing a really brief summary of what you both do uh, and what Andy does and what Nick does so that people can understand that? And then after that, I want to get into what Andy said about keeping the income below 200000 yeah, so as an accountant, um, I mean, I've got dual roles, really. Um, I always I, I tend to try and focus away from tax, and I'm a sort of business advisor, so I'm there uh, to sit alongside medics and, and give them proper business advice and how to structure their businesses uh, and, and how to run their businesses. But from a tax viewpoint, we've got to be mindful of um, the various different tax levels that kick in. Um, and everyone's probably aware of, you know, the, the tax rates of 40% and 45% if you earn about 150,000. But then we've got tax rates around the 100,000 level where you start to lose the tax-free personal allowance. And if you've got childcare benefits, you could potentially start use, losing those as well. Um, so that that's quite a big issue to have a look at. And then the, the annual allowance tax side of things, yeah, I, I can crunch the numbers in terms of working out the tax side of things. Um, and it, it, it's quite significant and talk around strategies. But actually, what I can't do is talk around uh, what that means long term in terms of your investments. And the pension scheme is an investment. Um, it's just, you know, everyone gets obsessed by the NHS pension scheme as being, the you know, the, the, the big thing that and really important thing which it is but there's other ways of of managing your wealth as well and that's perhaps where nick comes in yeah i mean i think it's it's safe to say that obviously andy and i work 
pretty much side by side what we do when we're allowed in the office and there's a lot of middle ground uh, where we'll do the same thing so Andy and I can both crunch numbers and project benefits forward neither of those two things are are what what we'd call regulated activities that, that only a financial advisor can do um, but then there are the satellite issues that so I wouldn't do um partnership returns i wouldn't do individual tax returns that's andy's team specialism similarly andy wouldn't provide advice as to whether you should opt in or reduce added years contracts and then the knock-on discussions that come from that around investing and uh and building up separate um pots of funds or investing company money which is something that we'll come on to shortly so that's the the main difference there's a lot of common ground there but then we each have our own specialism outside of that Awesome. That's a really good explanation. Okay. So, Andy, you said that um, Dr. Araf uh, needs to keep his income below 200,000. And the reason for that was the taper. Now, I just want to make something really clear. You're not suggesting that he stops work at 200,000. And you're suggesting that instead he restructures the way that he's remunerated. Have I got that right? Well, no, the, the, you know, you've got to, you, you can't ignore the simple thing in that actually. You know, one way of keeping below two hundred thousand is just not earning a penny more than two hundred thousand. It's quite difficult to do though, because trying to judge that during a year is is really tricky. Um, we have lots of clients who, who try and get close to limits, and for whatever reason, something comes along and um, they go above the limit. But that is, you know, in the simplest form, reducing work is 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 an option, and that was one of the drivers um, a year or so ago around the annual allowance issue. You know, people were reducing their work. But assuming uh, he doesn't want to reduce his work, then, uh, you know, he's quite rightly looking at a company as a possible route of doing that, because the benefit that the company brings is the company is its own legal entity and pays its own tax. Um, And uh, Dr. Araf is only... um, he will only pay personal tax when he takes money out of that company personally. So actually, if you took the NHS income, that's a given, that's employment income, but then any other income from the company, he can actually control what he takes out to keep himself below that 200,000. So the company side will give him a degree of control without having to reduce the level of work being done. Um, But there are potential pitfalls. And those two potential pitfalls are IR35, um, possibly, and VAT, possibly. And you'll note the word possibly there. Um, and what I would say here is the, the, the all-encompassing caveat that everyone's individual circumstances are different. So you do have to take uh, financial advice on this and look at your, your, your situations. But in terms of what, what these things are, what is IR35? Um, IR35 is, is um, it kind of came in, it's been around for a long time now, but it's only starting to, to affect doctors um, because they're, they're beginning to tighten the rules around that. Um, and what IR35 does, it only applies in certain circumstances. It only applies where you're using an intermediary business to provide your services to someone else. Um, so if you're a, a consultant, uh, self-employed, um, just providing your services to uh, private patients direct, um, you're self-employed, IR35 does not apply to you. And that's a really important point to take on um, because a lot of people just think it applies to everything. It doesn't. It only applies where you're operating through an intermediary. And what is an intermediary? An intermediary is where you've got a limited company where essentially you own the limited company and the limited company is buying your services 
to someone else or indeed also the one thing that is often overlooked is partnerships um, so on a GP setting you can have IR35 um, where an individual's a partner in a practice providing services to someone else IR35 can apply in those circumstances potentially as well uh, but not a sole trader so again if you want to ignore if you you, know, you want to you're really worried about IR35 as being an issue, then keep as a sole trader because that, that stops that problem. Um, what we have seen with IR35, though, is, is a tightening of the rules from the 1st of April um, in that it now applies to um, uh, both uh, the individual who's operated through the company and the people that are employing that person. I say employing using that word loosely because it's the definition of employment is the most important thing. Um, and I so said, what it tries to do is, is if 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 that relationship is between the individual and the ultimate client or ultimate hospital is one of an employment situation, um, even if you stick it through a limited company, um, what the HMRC will want to do, they want to seek to tax that person as with as if they were an employee. Um, so they have brought in lots of rules around this and circumstances around this, um, and the. Um, Ultimately, you have to sort of run something called a CEST tool, which is a, a check employment status for tax tool, uh, which runs you through lots of questions around um, your uh, the service you're providing and how you're providing it, out of which will pop an answer. Um, and the answer will be, fine, you can be treated as uh, self-employed style type of work, so uh, IR35 is not a problem, or alternatively, it's not fine, and if it's not fine, then the, the company you're working for has to deduct tax and national insurance as if you're an employee. So it's a, it's a quite a big issue, and we've, we've noticed, particularly um, in the, the private hospital sector, um, a lot of the private hospital uh, providers have looked at this quite significantly, uh, and have been writing to all their consultants, asking asking them to provide a lot more information around the services um, that are being provided. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's, it, um, it, it, I think the sort of general feeling, and it is specific, is if you're a consultant providing services direct to your patients, um, that's not a problem. Um, but if you're in perhaps one of those areas or where you're not necessarily directly performing it for the patient, but potentially performing it for the hospital, uh, so anaesthetists and radiologists are, are, are quite good examples there. It depends. The, it really does depend on what you're actually doing. Um, if you're not, it can be looked as uh, as being uh, an employment situation. So if you get that kind of situation, then having a company actually helps, doesn't help you at all. Um, it, 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 in fact, makes it a lot harder. And the second issue then is around VAT. Um, and the first important point to, to, to mention here is VAT is not an issue if your turnover in any 12 months, and it's kind of a rolling 12-month basis, is more than eight, is sorry, it, it's not an issue if it's less than £85,000 a year. So if your income is £60,000, you don't have to worry about VAT. But if it's above £85,000, then again, you have to look at the nature of the service being provided. And the the assumption is generally within health is that um, a provision of health services are exempt from VAT. So everyone assumes that what they are providing is health and therefore it's exempt. Don't need to worry about it. But that's not quite the situation here. Is that if you have a, a company situation, um, it is actually the company supplying services, not you as an individual. 
And what is the company supplying? Um, is the company supplying healthcare services or is the company supplying your, your services as a member of staff? And the differential is that healthcare services are exempt, suppliers of staff are subject to VAT, uh, potentially, if you're above 85,000. So I think in this example, um, the accountant is clearly looking at that going, well, actually, what's actually been provided here? Um, you know, is, is there a direct relationship between the consultant and the, the patient, or is it the consultant just providing services to the hospital, which the hospital then provides to the patient? Um, and I think there is an issue there potentially around, um, you know, the supply of staff and the VAT issue, if above 85,000. So, again, one of the ways of keeping that under control is keep that turnover below 85,000, which may not be that story that people want to hear at the moment. Um, so they're, they're fundamentally the two issues. Um, as I said, it, it, it's very nuanced, though. Every individual situation is is completely different, and you do need to look at it. And it's a fast developing world for for the hospital sector at the moment. So, um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, that the individual does need to sort of take some advice on that. Yeah, um, we are actually doing. If you like the sound of IR thirty five, we're actually doing an IR thirty five podcast soon as well. So uh, you can get fully into details there. Okay. Um, and I just want to reiterate this point that you made that the company's money is not Mr. Araf's money. So he could uh, leave the money in the company to keep his income under 200,000. Uh, and then he would not um, hit the taper. Is that is is my understanding correct there? Yeah, that's correct. Because the company is its own separate legal entity. Um, the company pays tax in its own right, and we'll perhaps just talk about tax tax in a second. But um, if if all the money is left in the company, which you can do, then actually you've not taken any income out of the company personally, and therefore, in this scenario, his his tax rate will be based on his NHS income only. Um, so it's only the point you take money out of the company. And how do you take money out of the company? You either take it out as a salary. Um, which everyone was probably used to how you take a salary or, or as a dividend from the company. And a dividend is just you elect to pay some of the profits out um, periodically uh, as, a, as a payment to the shareholders. Um, so it's only at that point in time where a dividend or a salary is taken um, that it becomes personal income of the individual. Yeah. Um, and the dividends are taxed slightly differently uh, uh, versus taking it as a salary, right? Because the salary will be taxed at its marginal rate. The dividend will be uh, the dividend rate. Do we want to yeah. go down that route? Yeah. So, so the, the, the salary is, yeah, you're right. The salary is taxed. Um, you know, so if you're a 45% taxpayer and you take some one come out of salary, you're going to pay 45% tax on that salary. Um, if you're you're not actually a taxpayer, um, so if you've got maybe a spouse that's not working, I know that's not the case in this scenario, um, but if that's, that spouse takes a salary out of the company, then it could be taxed at 0%. Um, so that's where companies tend to work is where you've got spouses that have lower levels of income um, who, who can use lower tax rates. Maybe not so in this case because both taxpayers look like they're at least paying tax at 40%. Um, and also, you know, uh, again, one of the things I want to come back to is, is the, the, the tax-free personal allowance part, and that there is a, a bit of a potential cliff-edge trap if you earn above a hundred thousand, um, because between a hundred and one hundred twenty-five thousand, you start to lose the tax-free personal allowance. Um, so it effectively means that actually, in that 
range of income, any income you take out is, is subject to a 60% tax rate. Um, so in, in this scenario, we've got a spouse who's earning 120000 from the NHS. Um, weren't quite sure if that was pensionable income or, or income before pension, but assuming it's 120000 of taxable income, actually taking out a salary from the company would be taxed at 60%, so quite quite a hefty tax rate, so maybe not something to consider in this case. Dividends are a separate issue. Dividends have various different tax rates. Um, the first £2,000 of dividends are tax-free. Um, so everyone that's got a company should at least be extracting 2000 a year of dividend from that company because you pay no further tax on that. Um, then there's various different rates. If you're a 40% taxpayer normally, then the, the rate dividend tax rate is 32.5%. If you're a 45% taxpayer, then the dividend rate is 38.1%. And you may think instantly, well, that sounds quite attractive. I'm paying tax at a lower rate than I would have been if I was self-employed. Um, but what you have to bear in mind is the company also has to pay corporation tax on this income. Um, so the corporation tax rate at the moment is 19%. Um, so the corporate, the company would have to pay tax first and then you pay a secondary tax charge when you take it out. And it works out very simple, similar to the self-employed rate. So actually, purely if you're looking at extracting all your money from the company, actually there's not an awful a lot of difference in terms of tax you pay self-employed versus putting it through a company. Um, the, the benefit in this case comes from actually not taking all the money out and leaving it for a future date. I think the last point I would just quickly say on taxes, just on the corporation tax rate, just to watch out for um, something that will be coming through from 2023 in that the government is, is moving the tax rate um, from 19% for companies to a possible high rate of 25%. Um, that 25% rate applies if you uh, earn above 250000 If you earn below that through the company, then there's a kind of tapered rate that's going to apply. So it's going to start changing all the maths as to whether companies are worthwhile for, for, for people uh, generally. Um, but as I said, you know, again, this, this scenario is really about trying to reduce personal income. And therefore, one of the areas you can do that is just by keeping the money in the company. Um, and then, you know, again, Nick might then come on to what you can do with that money. Definitely. Yeah, that was a really good run through. Uh, we've got a whole podcast on uh, Does a Limited Company Make Sense? And we go into the, the basics as well, because we're going quite high level today. And I just want to reiterate something that you said, Andy, that uh, the, the marginal tax rate between 100 and 125,000 is effectively 60% because you lose your personal tax-free allowance. Have I got that right? That's correct. So for, um, for every... Two pounds you earn above a hundred thousand, you lose one pound of the tax-free personal allowance, and the tax-free personal allowance at the moment is twelve thousand five hundred. Um, so the first twelve thousand five hundred pounds of income you pay no tax on, but as soon as you start to earn above a hundred thousand, that twelve thousand five hundred tax-free personal allowance comes down. So effectively, the, the maths is it works at a sixty percent marginal tax rate. Yeah, I've actually seen some numbers that Ed's run for a GP partner who has a student loan paying 9% over the threshold, paying their pension, employer and employee contributions, add the national insurance in, and for every pound earned, the take-home is around 18p, right? Um, just because of all those deductions in that 100, 125 range. So um, that is really interesting. Um, there's so much to cover here, but I think, Nick, would this be a good point?